Well done, Josiah. No, this isn't part of the message, but um, you are doing an incredible job, mate. I'm just hearing leaders around the table. Thanks so much. And thanks for all you've done this year uh, with the intern space and overseeing um, parts of worship and parts of missions in a year that you, know, you didn't really sign up for a COVID year. <laughs> um, the last quarter of the year is, was delicate. Um, allocated to ministry placement, where you get to see how ministry happens in a church, about the same week as we went, entered lockdown, was that? So um, you've done a great job, mate, and just hearing uh, the incredible passion you have for scripture, and um, yeah, you do it really well, so thanks, mate, really appreciate it. Yeah, you can give him a clap, there's some sort of like, what do we do? Yeah, yeah, good job, mate. Um, let's dive into the message today. I, I, I wonder, what age do you think you actually mature? Um, a previous injury, I'm recovering on this leg, but when I hurt this leg, I tore my calf muscle um, trying to play soccer uh, with a team. And I remember my doctor at the time said, it's middle-aged guys like you that keep me in business. Yeah? As we go back to sport and think, oh yeah, this is going to look so good. It looks really different in our minds to the way it does in reality. Um, <laughs> a young adults ministry actually had to put an age cap on what a young adult was. Man, I remember as <laughs> back, way back, scary now, when I was 37, I thought, oh yeah, I'm still a young adult with three kids, a mortgage, a wife, and hang on, <laughs> I'm not that young of an adult. I should start to get it together by now. Um, and I know this, this sort of wrestles with maturity too, isn't there? I, I saw this mug a while back and wanted to buy it. Um, it said, you have to grow old someday, but you can be immature forever. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It feels like, yes. And totally, that's a bit of me in that as well. <laughs> uh, Andy Stanley speaks of the ultimate measure of maturity being how we handle authority, power, and influence. The ultimate, the ultimate measure of maturity being how we handle authority, power, and influence. Andy talks that about this model as when we have the authority and power and influence. So when we have control over, or authority power, over someone. But I also believe it goes the other way. When we sit under authority, power, and influence, it's also a measure of our maturity. Now, there's different sorts of maturity. There's emotional maturity. There's uh, spiritual maturity. There's maturity of our identity. How do we understand ourselves under God? And, and when we sit under or have control of a situation or authority, it actually sort of exposes the motivations of our heart. And so today's message is about how do we have a heart after God's own heart? in both the way that we sit under authority, and of course the ultimate authority is God's, but also how do we steward the authority that is given to us within our, our family, our peers, our workplace. And so today we're going to see what Scripture says about what it is to be mature in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today as we look at our own hearts and our own journeys, knowing that maturity is something that takes time to mature, Lord, I pray that we would see the examples of Scripture of how people sat under your influence, 
set under you, but also cared for those under themselves. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when I was probably about your age, Josiah, um, this was my heyday. I had long, blonde, curly hair. Like, that whole sort of whoosh. Yeah. And, it, and it, was, it was magnificent. <laughs> Up until a few years ago, I actually kept my ponytail because I tied it in when we cut it off. And that was gross. A stupid thing to do. Anyway, <laughs> seemed good at the time. But I had this long hair and, and it was great until you'd get a humid day and this long curly hair wouldn't stay long and curly. It'd sort of become a half afro and just go... <laughs> To about here. It would stay flat and then go out and then go down. It was a weird looking thing. And, and so I had this idea that if I shaved the bottom of it, then it would sit better. So I wanted to get this undercut and shave the bottom part and keep that long. This is sounding like a winning idea right now. And the thing, the problem was my dad was, dad, dad was totally against it. He says, there's no way you're shaving the bottom of your head and keeping the long, like there's no way, you're not allowed to do it. So I go in this camp <laughs> with a bunch of friends and throughout the course of the camp, you know, clippers came out and by the end of the camp, <laughs> yeah, I've got this undercut. I remember when I got home um, seeing my dad and just seeing his face of how disappointed he was that I'd got this, this haircut that, that he didn't want me to get. And... I was sort of Josiah's age. I was old enough. I could make my own decisions, but I knew he didn't want me to do it. And, and, and the punishment, it was the last time I ever got a smack from my dad. And I remember, like, I'd been playing country AFL for ages, so the smack didn't mean much to me. <laughs> I got smacked around plenty more on the weekend at, at footy. But, but it wasn't the, the punishment that brought me to tears, but it was actually realising that I'd let my father down. And I damaged the relationship between him and myself when I disobeyed what he'd asked me to do. I made the decision, but sitting under his authority, I'd made a decision that, that upset him. And I remember in this moment of, of reconciliation from that breakdown in relationship that, that we were, I was in tears because I'd let him down. He was in tears because he had to give me a, a punishment, but also he was upset that I'd done something against his will. And I remember this moment where we're both hugging each other and weeping as the relationship was restored in this, this authority of sitting under the authority, power and influence of my father, but also as I wrestled with what it was to make my own decisions for myself. And I believe that, that when we look at this idea of authority, power and influence, that, that when we when this breaks down, what breaks down is relationship. And often we, we, when we're going to see through scriptures, when we put God in the place of authority and power, that that's when our relationship with God is good. When we put ourselves in a place of authority over others and abuse that, putting ourselves before others, that's when we damage relationships. And so when we have a heart after God's own heart, we're going to see some elements throughout David's story that mirror God's heart and how we can, can make sure that our relationships are whole and healthy. I was very, very pleased. Let me just finish the hair saga. Um, 
I think it was about a week before our wedding um, that I, maybe a little bit longer, that I had my hair, that whatever that thing was that was happening up there. It was still cool. Like, um, but I had that cut off as, other than getting married, it was a really, like, one of the best decisions of my life. <laughs> anyway, where are we going with this? <laughs> we see that there's, there's times when this idea of power and authority, when we have power and authority over others, when it's done well, it's a beautiful thing. Like picture, there was, um, you picture a family that goes out for ice creams and the little kid's so excited and it's like, yay, ice cream doesn't go that way and it falls on the ground. And what what does the parent with authority and power do in that moment? They hand their ice cream to the child that's lost theirs. It's, it's this, this sacrifice that they make that benefits others. It's, a, it's an act of love and generosity and kindness that shows that they are putting the interests of others before themselves. What about the same scenario when, when a, if there's two siblings, one of the, the children lose, loses their ice cream and the other sibling offers their ice cream? Like, oh, isn't that, isn't that just, doesn't your heart melt? Because that's what, that's what it's meant to be like, sacrificial leadership, like using what you've got, your influence to help others out of love and kindness and generosity. How much worse is it then when it goes the other way? When somebody uses their power or their influence to abuse those underneath them to elevate themselves. Yeah, and you see it in the corporate world, people that burn bridges to climb the ladder. And there's just a a trail of broken and wrecked relationships behind them as they they claw their way for their own personal gain. And this is why it's so important that we have a maturity when it comes to our heart in the way that we deal with others because we want to be people that leave a trail of beautiful relationships behind us, not broken ones. We want to be people that honour God in our decisions and not ourselves. You see, Jesus actually said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which we mentioned last week. A little bit of a fast forward to to catch us up to our passage today, which is actually in 2 Samuel. So we're going to skip quite a large portion of the the book of 1 Samuel heading up to to where we are today. But we see that, that King Saul had not put God first and had done the worst thing. And actually, in his own wrestle with his self-esteem and his jealousy had trampled on other relationships to elevate himself. He'd showed immaturity in those areas of his life and in doing so left a trial of destruction. We see that he was selfish, he was arrogant and then a last like clawing attempt to try and restore his relationship with, with others and with God, he actually goes and sees a witch and Samuel, the, the prophet, had died at that time. And in 1 Samuel chapter 28, he, he seeks this witch and manifests Samuel's spirit. We don't usually talk about this, but it's, it's in there. I'm just trying to wet your whistle if you want to do some homework this week. And, and he crawls, calls out to Samuel, and Samuel's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, waking me up. He goes, oh, I want to get my relationship right with God. And he goes, it's too late. You had your chance, and you've rejected it. Saul then, we, we get to the very end of 1 Samuel and Saul passes away. Now if we're talking about power and authority and what do we do with maturity, this is David's chance to go, ah, oh, 
Finally, I don't have to keep running. Finally, I can rest. Finally. I, I can, I'm justified in my, in my lifestyle. I'm justified in my running away. Oh, finally, this is the moment. You see, one of the first things that we see in, in the, the first chapter of Second Samuel is David actually goes, he, he wants to be a, a, a peacemaker. And the first thing that we actually see David do is said, we're going to mourn the king that God had placed in, in authority. And he writes out this, this prayer, he writes out, and he commands all of the people under his authority to mourn the passing of the king. Why? Was Saul his best friend? Not at all. But God had put him as king. And so he honoured the authority of God first in, in respecting who God had anointed as king. And in that, he is seeking peace. You see, maturity seeks peace. Immaturity seeks power. That was David's opportunity. I'm going to be king now. But rather, he commands that everyone stop and mourn the loss of God's anointed. He seeks peace. We then see that God's promise of David becoming king would take place. And as David continues to seek peace, he was a warrior. He could fight if he needed to. We know that. But as he sought peace, he allowed God to fight some of the battles. And one of the battles that was taking place at the time was this inner battle between the, the tribes of Israel, the, the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And David was king over the southern tribes, but the northern tribes had taken Saul's son as king and made them king over the northern tribes. Now David's just doing his thing. He's seeking peace, he's loving people, he's putting God first, and in doing that, God does this incredible sort of battle on David's behalf, and the northern tribe falls under his kingship. And now for the first time in forever, all of Israel is united under David's kingship, under one king, as, as David puts God as his authority figure. Now then something really, is two things that happen that are quite strategic. David picks a city in the centre, sort of the central area, called Jerusalem. Now it's still occupied at the time, and they think you're never going to conquer it, but he does, with God's help. And then he says, what we need is a centralised place to come to worship God. And so what he does is he gets the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was this place where they would build a tent around it, and in the tent was this, this holy place called the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark was, and there's a few things in the Ark. But it was this symbol, symbolization, this space where the, the priest would go and ask for forgiveness of sins and would go and hear from God, and it was this special place that symbolized where God was. Now, David wanted to symbolize that God was at the, the capital of this nation. It was that the, the main city had the, the, this ark would be brought into, and, and this would symbolize that the God of Israel is central to the entire kingdom. It's central to all that we do. And, and in that, we see that there's a bit of a story, and David pretty much strips off with not many clothes on and does this sort of dance, and we've, we're not going to go there. Uh, but, but essentially shames himself as king so that God would be elevated. 
It wasn't saying, look how good I am. It's going, look how good God is. I will, will shame myself for the glory of God. And we see this wrestle. Other people are watching on. It's, it's noted in Scripture that others are watching David do this and going, you shouldn't do that. It, it looks bad on you and it looks bad on me. You see the wrestle? Honoring yourself, putting your own desires. And David's like, it's not about me. It's all about God. It's all about, I will shame myself as king so that God would be elevated. You see, maturity, when it comes to this idea of a heart after God's own heart, a mature heart is God-focused. An immature heart is self-focused. And we see that echoed through that passage when others are thinking of themselves and David's thinking only of God and dismisses any other thoughts. It's all about God. I will shame myself to glorify God. Which brings us to our key passage in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. And we see that there's been some battles going on and there's enemies that have been pressing in and David's been obeying God and, and doing what he, has, what he needs to do to, to defend the nation, but he's also being the peacekeeper within the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And then we get to this, this space where he finally gets a breath. <sighs> There's some peace. And it's really important to see what his response is in a time of peace. So first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 says, After the king was settled in his palace. Now, the palace was a gift from a neighboring country. And they said, well, well we want to seek peace as well because you're actually a pretty good warrior and you've got a pretty good army and God seems to be doing good stuff. So we'll, we'll send a bit of a peace offering too. We will build you a palace Here's the materials, here's the wood, here's the workers, here's everything. It's on us, my shout. Build your palace. Incredible gift. So David was settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies. He said to Nathan the prophet, now remember Samuel has passed away. Samuel was God's ambassador and the messenger to David. Last week we, we talked about how it's so important that we have safe people to share our emotions with. And so Samuel was the one that David would sort of wrestle and hear from God and share some of his emotions with. Now Nathan is that person. He's the prophet. God spoke to, to Nathan and Nathan would share that with, with David. He was his advisor, but he was also the person that he could share and be open and, and real with. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the, God, for the Lord is with you. You see, David's first go-to when it came from a time of peace, there's, there's, there's no enemies, he settled into the house, you know, moving day is pretty stressful. He's in the house and he's settled. All the boxes are unpacked. Now, if you're anything like me, my first response would be, TV, couch, good. You know, like, ah. <sighs> Settled into the house. I just want to chill. But God's, like we see David's first response is to worship God. And worship God is a lifestyle of living in a way that honors God. And so his thoughts, his heart is for God. And what does he do? He looks at his house and goes, wow, this is amazing. Where's God? And remember, like, some, of, some of the thinking is a little bit off, but, but that, at that time, God's in the tent. God's in the, the Holy of Holies. God's in, in the Ark of the Covenant. That's in a tent. How am I in this palace and God's in a tent? That's not good enough. So you see, maturity worships in all circumstances. 
and immaturity wallows. You know, every time we've moved house, I've looked for the couch. I really have. I've done this like, ah, that's exhausting. I'm going to wallow, I'm going to stick my feet up, and I'm going to wallow all the way through all the channels on the TV. You know, I want to chill. David's first response was to worship. And his worship put him on God's agenda. And, and he's thinking of God and he goes, that's not good enough. I need to do something. How can I be in this great house when God is in a tent? David's downtime raised up God. And so he decides to do something about it. And he says to Nathan, we're going to build a temple. I'm going to build something that's not good enough. And Nathan goes, go do whatever you need to do. God is with you. Then that night, God gives Nathan a dream. It says in verse 4, But that night the word of God came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelled in a house from the day I brought you up out of Israel and out of Egypt to this day? I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers who I've commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You see, David's filter was that God needs to fix location. And what God was saying is, I love your heart, but you're wrong. And I love this passage because most of the passage is actually correcting David's bad theology of who God is. Because remember, David heard from God time and time. He was in tune from, from 1 Samuel chapter 6. The Spirit of God, when he was anointed king, came on David and he was able to talk to God, but now he's thinking God needs a fixed location. So God's saying, you're wrong, but I love your heart. You see, you can disagree with somebody and still love them. You can have a difference of opinion and love him. You can still be trying to do something for God and having it totally wrong. God still loves you. But here God is correcting David. Why have you not? Then verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. So not only does God correct him and love his heart, but God outdoes him. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone. You don't need a fixed location. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great. He's trying to elevate God and God says, I'm going to elevate you. I will make your name like the greatest men on earth and I will... Provide a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time that I appointed leaders over my people Israel. And I will also give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares, this is a declaration from God, to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. David's going, I want to build your house, God. God goes, no, 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 I will build a house. I'll build a legacy for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up from your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish a throne over his kingdom forever. 
It's talking about Jesus. And I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men. He's talking about the flogging that's about to take place when Jesus goes to the cross. With flogging inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. See, firstly, you can never outgive the Father. David tried to give, and God gave back so much more. We're going to hear throughout the series that one of the, David's biggest failures was his family. Yet through David's family, the Messiah would come. You see, one of the things that we see about maturity when it comes from God's heart is God's heart is to give and give generously, to give outrageously, where, it, where immaturity wants to take. Immaturity is all about ourselves. Immaturity is what's, what's in it for me. It's what I love about reverse advent calendar. It's an opportunity to give. It's a simple way to give rather than a world that tells us you've got to get what's for you. You, you, receive, 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 me, me, me. Maturity gives generously. And when we see David trying to give to God, God outgives him and then some. We start to read in the New Testament that God is always truthful to his word. And God, through Matthew chapter 1, we see written to the Jewish nation, we see that God fulfills his promise and we see that the genealogy, David's family tree, goes way back to Adam and goes all the way through. And we see from David's line, as you go through the families, we see from David's family came the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We read in Acts chapter 13, verse 22 and 23, after moving Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What does that look like? What are the things that are on God's heart? It's, it's doing what God wants us to do. And there's elements of that that are, that are generous, that are worshipful, that, that, that put God first. And said, so from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus as he's promised. And Acts is referring to this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so we see some elements of David's life that show maturity as he had a, God, uh, had a heart after God's own heart. But the ultimate expression of maturity is found in Jesus. What is it to have a heart after God's own heart? To, to sit with this wrestle of, of having authority and sitting under authority, of having authority under people under you and, and sitting under authority. What does it look like to sit in this space? And the epitome, that the ultimate example is found when Jesus is on the cross. And why is he on the cross? Is because God the Father has a plan for humanity. And a part of that plan was that Jesus had to die so that we didn't need to. And Jesus is on the cross, sitting under the authority of his heavenly Father. And as he looks down at the people that have beaten him and whipped him, that had put the nails in his hand and put him on the cross, as he looks down in pain and agony 
at the people that he has authority over, knowing that he could have called down angels, he could have been saved with one word. But as he looks down at the people that are under his authority, sitting under the authority of God, what, what is in his heart? And what is his prayer? He goes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Sitting under the authority of God, paying the ultimate price for those that are under him. This is what it is to have a heart after God's own heart. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. One of the things that is so important when we look at David is that one of David's strengths was that he, he repented well. And he needed to because he messed up well as well. And some scholars say that the, the, the key attribute of David's heart after God's own heart is the way that he repented. I think there's a bit more to it than that. But, but it, it, it just highlights the importance of saying sorry when we mess up. And a part of maturing is messing up, isn't it? We all mess up. Last week, I messed up. I had an immature moment. I was booked in to go to surgery, and it got pushed back a week. And all my plans went out the window. And I remember, you know, I was, I was in a pity party, pity party. I wasn't in a space of, thank you, God. I was, worship, I was wallowing instead of worshipping. And I found myself, like, and, and honestly, this is sort of the, hear the wrestle, but I was sitting there, it's like, oh, stupid free healthcare system that's going to fix me so I can walk properly, but I've got to wait a week, and then I've got to, oh, all this thing. It's like, it was ridiculous. Like, we are so blessed to have what we have. I should have been worshipping, but I was like, oh, all my plans change, all the dates change. Oh, man. I found myself really easily falling into the trap of wallowing rather than being grateful for what I had and and sitting in a space of worship with God. And I had to say sorry. I had to talk to some people that I trusted and wrestle through that feeling and what's going on and what's what's behind this? People speaking into me. You see, maturity is a journey. We don't just go from child to adult in maturity. We, we, we need permission to mess up, and we will, and that's okay. I messed up last week. That's a part of growing up. And I want to give us permission to, to identify the areas that we need to grow up in. You see, maturity seeks peace, not power. Maturity is God-focused, not self-focused. Maturity worships, not wallows. Maturity is, is generous and doesn't take. See, spiritual maturity, a heart after God's own heart, has these things. And I believe that there's moments like when David read through the Psalms where he's like, thank you, God. Oh, God, I'm wallowing. I'm so sorry. I found you. Thank you, God. Yeah, the, the roller coaster of Psalms that we see David going through this shows that his heart always wanted to be with God, even in the low points. And what I believe that some of us may need is moments to identify those areas of growth that are in our life. We're much like that story I shared with my father that we need to embrace our heavenly father in tears because when we've made the wrong choice, we've broken the relationship with him. And when we've made the wrong choice, seeking power, being self-focused, wallowing, taking instead of giving, we can break relationships with those around us. And I believe there's moments where we need to repent and say sorry and embrace our heavenly father in tears saying we are so sorry for what we've done. And likewise, I believe our Heavenly Father embraces us, saying, I forgive you. 
let's restore some of those relationships. So I believe that over the next few weeks, we need to examine how we act under authority and over authority. We're the people that, that, are, that, are, that we have authority over within our families, in our workplace, with our friends, but also the way that we submit to those in authority. And of course, the ultimate source of authority being our Heavenly Father. In a way that we seek peace, we focus on God, we, we worship and we are generous. You see, I think that we need to remember once again that the ultimate expression of having a heart for God is found in Jesus. Knowing that Jesus gave it all for us so that we could have it all in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have a heart for you. That we would sit under your heart. That we would sit under your authority, your, your power and your rule. And in doing so, that we would be your hands and feet on this earth. Knowing that there is sometimes a cost, but we pay the cost for the sake of those that you've entrusted us with. Lord, to the parents in the room, I pray that we would steward our families well. That we would give generously to those that, that we are caring for, but we would do so wisely that we would model what it is to worship in all seasons of life, in the, in the highs and lows, and that we would love unconditionally those in our care. Lord, for those that have authority in the workplace, Lord, I pray that we would care for those that we steward, that we would care for them in love and generosity, but we would also hold them to account, but we would do so in a way that doesn't elevate ourselves, but actually puts them first. Lord, may we see who you have called them to be before the task that you've called them to do. God, I pray that in all these things, as we seek to have a heart for you, that you would be with us, knowing that you are not in a fixed location like David thought, but you are with us wherever we go. May we be in tune with you, with your spirit. May there be moments where this act of worship in our default helps guide us through the decisions that we're meant to make. So that at each and every turn, we're on your page, your agenda. And may we always remember that Jesus gave it all so we could have all in him. May he be our fixed point. May he be the one that we draw towards. May he be the one that guides us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.